Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I see seem fun the diary of jen kirkman podcast episode 219 hello everybody oh my god my life is a fucking whirlwind i can't even take it you'll hear all about it we've got some new sponsors today um and uh this episode is brought to you by talkspace adore me lingerie and the rx bar that's right my voice it's not it's not it's pink um but we're gonna get that back on track once i stop fucking talking We'll not be getting it back on track during a podcast. My arm is numb. My arm is numb. My arm is numb. Remember that, you guys? My arm is numb. Okay. Um, that is some old school vocal shit from 2016. All right. Here's the deal. Let's do some business. Write a review on iTunes. Give this goddamn show five stars and subscribe. Even if you don't listen to it on iTunes, would you just fucking subscribe? Would you goddamn do me a goddamn solid you know that book fire and fury the the book that's out with the trump and all that well they're like oh my god the, the, the biggest selling book of all time we had to push up the release date and we're running out of copies do you know how many copies it sold in the first week you'll be shocked take a wild guess aaron uh, i'm gonna say if it's if i'm gonna be shocked because it's low or high i cannot tell you okay i think i think you mean it's gonna be low <laughs> So 250,000. Okay. So that would be low to you. That's that would be I mean, low to me too. For something that's this hyped. Yes. Yeah. 30,000. Wow. Now, the story I'm about to tell about that which isn't even a story. Nobody ain't nobody disappointed in the 30,000. It's not like they hyped it and went, "Oh, whoopsie, caught with our pants down. It was only 30,000." They know that that's 30,000 and that's a best-selling book. That's how little books people buy. When I saw, I thought a million. I thought easily a million. Yeah. When I saw that was the numbers, I mean, I'm sure it's been more since then, but just that first week where they have to push it out because of all the advanced orders, I assumed a million people had to order it in advance. When I, um, or I tried to order the actual physical copy and it, two weeks it would take from Amazon. So I thought, well, geez, they, they didn't realize they had to print a million. Well, that is how few people buy books in this world. And so I thought, because my books haven't sold 30,000 copies, I thought I'm a failure. I can't even sell 30,000 copies. And now I realize that would be a runaway hit, which is so sad. So I have more than 30,000 listeners to this podcast. If everyone bought a fucking book, I'd be a runaway hit. And that's how I know all y'all haven't bought a book because I'm not a runaway hit. So what I and when I ask you to do, if you can't do that, which you couldn't do, I mean, it's been years now. Y- y'all I mean, could do it. Guys, wouldn't you rather <laughs> read about Jen Kirkman than Donald Trump? Uh, that's uh, how I feel. Yeah. I feel this way. Re- buy it. Don't even read it. I don't give a shit who reads it. Just buy it. But 
my point is, if you can't do that, go to iTunes and hit subscribe. That's my point. If everyone did, holy shit, would nothing would happen. Go to Apple stores, subscribe all the phones to iSeem Fun. You can do that. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can subscribe all your... F- no, all the phones at an Apple store. Oh, at an... Uh, uh-huh. I was thinking online. And I'm like, how do you do that online? I see what you're saying. <laughs> oh my God, that's fun and very subversive. Uh-huh. That's very... Um, what's his name? Abby Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Except I don't want you to steal my book. I want you to buy it. Okay, perfect. Tour dates. Um, again, I don't know my life, so I don't know the tour. But uh, join that old email list. Oh, shit. I forgot to write one for this morning. God damn it. My life's unmanageable. At I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter and Facebook.com slash I Seem Fun. And send an email to me, I Seem Fun at gmail.com. I have listener emails in every episode. I have all the next six weeks of episodes mapped out. And then I have an in general giant listener email printout. So I'm going to get to all of them. But if you ask a specific question, like, should I dump my boyfriend tomorrow? I'm not gonna be able to get back to you that quickly. But as I say, even if by the time I read your email, your problem has been solved, somebody else has that problem. So also, if you're asking a podcast, yes, (laughs) that's everyone I've told to break up has broken up. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not because I don't believe in in love, I want everyone to get together. But these, like you said, they yeah. had to ask a podcast. Yeah. So the situation was there. Anytime something takes too long to explain, and then he went over here, and then it's like, you know what? It seems like too much. Too much. Anyway, well, let's start with, um, you know, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to start with something I want to read you, and then I'll get into how my life is. I thought this was incredible. I saw this. Someone was passing this around on Twitter. It's from a website called uh, brainpickings.org and M- Marie Curie uh, the first woman to win the Nobel Prize she was a pioneer in uh, scientific research she had haters she had haters like many ladies do uh, like like many successful ladies and, uh, and men as well um, Albert Einstein wrote her a letter that these days, the tweet, you know, the version of it would be a tweet being like, fuck the haters, fuck the haters. So he basically sent a letter in support to her to fuck the haters because she was in the midst of a scandal. And man, if times really haven't changed. So, well, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. It was in the 19. 19- Why don't I just read it to you? Okay, great. Huh. Few things are more disheartening to witness than the bile which small-spirited people of inferior talent often direct at those endowed with genius. And few things are more heartening to witness than the solidarity and support which kindred spirits of goodwill extend to those targeted by such loathsome attacks. I believe that is um, something Albert Einstein wrote in his letter, but the way the woman wrote it in this article, it's not clear, but it sounds like it. In 1903... Marie Curie, I believe I've seen her tomb in Paris. Yeah. Paris, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty beautiful, right? Yeah, I was worried, though, because I was like, didn't she die of radiation? <laughs> you think be, her tomb's going to be full of radiation? Should we be this close? Yeah. Well, I don't think she's radiating. I mean, <laughs> that stuff doesn't go away. Well, I, I wonder if it's more than the um, thing you went through at the airport to get to Paris. Uh, yeah, maybe. Are you TSA pre-check or anything like that? Of course not. Oh, okay. Well, then you're getting more radiation than most. Yeah. Um, I never thought about that, that it doesn't go away and that she would be radiated. I'm sure they're, I'm sure she's extra buried. Interesting. <laughs> I, now you're, uh, we're, we're fine. Yeah. That tomb is bigger than some studio apartments I've seen. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. In New York. Yeah. Beautiful. <clears throat> That's where I'll be moving. And everybody, if you can't find me. I'm in a tomb, but not buried. I mean, I'll set up, I'll have a sweet set. Anyway, um, she died in 1934 on July 4th. She became the first woman to win the Nobel Prize. It was awarded jointly to her and her husband, Pierre. You never hear about him for their pioneering research on radioactivity. On April 19th, 1906, that's my mom's birthday. Well, not 1906, but um, she was widowed. By an accident all the more tragic for its improbability. While crossing a busy Parisian street on a rainy night, Pierre slipped, fell under a horse-drawn cart, and was killed instantly. Curie grieved for years. In 1910, which was four years after his death, she found solace in Pierre's protege, 
a young physics professor named Paul Langvin, married to, but separated from, a woman who physically abused him. Curie and Paul became lovers, enraged. Langvin's wife, the the cray-cray who was hitting him, hired someone to break into the apartment where the two met and steal their love letters, which she promptly leaked to the so-called press. I don't know why it's... She wrote the so-called press. The press eviscerated Curie. Because they were all, it's all blogs. Yeah, it was all, <laughs> the first blogs began in Paris. So-called press. The press eviscerated Curie and portrayed her as a, quote, foreign Jewish homewrecker. I didn't know she was Jewish. Upon returning from a historic invitation-only science conference in Brussels, where she had met Albert Einstein, Curie found an angry mob in front of her home in Paris. She and her daughters were forced to stay with a family friend. Einstein considered Curie an unpretentious, honest person with a sparkling intelligence. When he got the news of the scandal, he was outraged by the tastelessness and cruelty of the press. The tabloids had stripped a private situation of all humanity and nuance. Nuance. Oh, my God. I keep thinking it's going to stop. I'm, I'm willing to hold out for 20 more seconds. It seems like they're doing some kind of testing at the All Things Comedy Studio. Or something's on fire. Or maybe you're radioactive because of we, we are in the tomb. It's done. I hope you all enjoyed that. I, I could not be fucked, as the Australians say, to go back and re-record that. Um, tabloids had stripped a private situation of all humanity and nuance and brought it into the public realm with the deliberate intention of destroying Curie's scientific reputation. A master of beautiful, consolatory letters and a champion of kindness as a central animating motive of life, Einstein wrote to Curie with wholehearted solidarity and support, encouraging her not to give any credence to the hateful commentaries in the press. The letter, which is found in Walter Isaacson's biography, Einstein, His Life in the Universe, is a testament to the generosity of spirit that accompanied Einstein's unparalleled intellect. Well, I was going to read you guys the letter, and I was so proud of myself. I printed it out. And I didn't print out the actual letter. But no worries. I can get on the internet right now and do such a thing. But this is classic. I seem fun. Classic beyond classic. Um, here it is. So people, whenever you need to, when, when you need to hear something more than fuck the haters, why don't you... Listen, go listen to this podcast. Uh, hang on. Um, okay. Hang on one second, everybody. Um, Hang on one second, everybody. Uh, I have to. I just got an emergency email. If you don't know how shit my life is right now, like you won't believe it when I tell you everything that's going on. I legit have no time for anything. I can't even pee. Um, okay, here it is. Hang on, here it is. Okay. All right, here's the letter. Why I know people that are overhearing their wife or husband listen to this like, why do you like this podcast? This is why I like it, honey. Okay, the fuck the haters email. Highly esteemed Mrs. Curie, do not laugh at me for writing you without having anything sensible to say. Imagine that Einstein doesn't think he has any sensible things to say. And yet our president, who calls himself a stable genius, is always talking about how much he's a genius. But I am so enraged by the base manner in which the public is presently daring to concern itself with you that I absolutely must give vent to this feeling. However, I am convinced that you consistently despise this rabble, whether it obsequiously lavishes respect on you or whether it attempts to satiate its lust for sensationalism. I am impelled to tell you much, how much I have come to admire your intellect, your drive, and your honesty, and that I consider myself lucky to have made your personal acquaintance in Brussels. Anyone who does not number among these reptiles is certainly happy, now as before, that we have such personages among us as you, and Langvin too, real people with whom one feels privileged to be in contact. If the rabble 
continues to occupy itself with you, then simply don't read that hogwash, but rather leave it to the reptile for whom it has been fabricated. With most amicable, amicable regards to you, Langvin and Perrin, yours very truly, A. Einstein. Wow. Uh, right after the scandal, she got her second Nobel Prize, this time in chemistry, for discovering the elements of radium and polonium. She is the only person ever awarded a Nobel Prize in two different scientists, sciences. She is uh, the journalist who showered her with bile, are known to none and deplored by all. That's, that's what the... Um... So I guess there's more. Um, Kierkegaard wrote something on why haters hate. Uh, not literally, he didn't say that, but I'll read that another time. So anyway, fuck the haters. Oh my God, my voice is so bad. Okay, so here's what's going on, folks, in JK World. By the way, thank you to everyone who came out to see me at Caroline's Comedy Club in New York City. It was so, I gotta tell you, if anyone thinks you're getting, you know, bummed at the world, let me, let me just tell you something from Grandma Jen's Files. When I started doing comedy 20 years ago, you would not have a show. With a, first of all, it's very rare to have a female headliner in a mainstream comedy club. That to have a female host as well, not her at the same. And then a gay guy. So my hosts this weekend were all hilarious people, and I don't mean to just identify them by their uh, genders and uh, sexuality, but it's an important part of the story because of the ignorant times that um, that we used to live in, and uh, so that that's why I'm I'm uh, being so crest but um samantha ruddy and um mateo and gregory um were all amazing and uh i'm sorry i'm trying to think straight um i'm also looking at my email sorry everyone was amazing and wonderful and so funny and the audience was fucking dying the audience was so into everything and i loved that um so let me just explain to y'all that when you do a comedy club, especially one like Caroline's on Broadway, which is right in the heart of Times Square, you will get a lot of tourists who just walk in and they may not know what comedy is. Imagine just someone goes, you want to see music tonight? Well, what kind? Music. You have no idea what it is. You might walk in and be miserable because it's whatever music you don't like. So uh, people don't understand that comedy is an art form with many different styles and types. We don't have names for them. Though. We don't have country or rap or whatever, but there's different ki- kinds of comedy that appeal to different people. And it's not like women for women or black people for black people. It's it's more the comedy stylings. And um, there's some people that get you and some people that don't. It's just like me with Elvis Costello. I'm sure he's a genius. The sound of his voice does something to me that makes me want to stop listening to the sound of his voice. I, it cannot be dissected or listen to this, no, try that. It's, it's, I can't. I don't like the sound of his voice. Um, so, what was my point? The shows went great. Most of the people there were not tourists. They were from New York. Um, again, it just shows how hard it is to get the word out. A lot of the people that came to see me were like, thanks for finally coming to New York. I'm like, I was just here three months ago, and I do two giant shows a year, but okay. L- listen, you found me now. Um, it was fantastic, and I had fun. And I never dreamt that I would be able to kind of stream of consciousness babble on a comedy club show in the heart of Times Square where normally, again, it used to be the case where you had to be like, my wife's pussy. And then, you know, mm -mm. so comedy clubs are changing. They're getting cooler. Audiences, as they always have been, don't mind if women or gays of any gender are performing on their stage. But it used to be that the old dinosaurs running everything thought that you guys would actually care. Now, I don't mean Lewis at Caroline's. He's amazing. And Caroline herself, uh, who watched one of the shows. It was great. Anyway, we all had fun. Uh, so here's what's going on in my life. I thought that I had everything planned out. I, my pilot that I wrote, again, I, I am. people keep going, is it going to be a TV show? I don't know. And then people go, do you get paid to write a pilot? Well, who would do anything for free? For the love of God, I have bills to pay. So um, you pitch a, a sh- concept to a network. Uh, uh, so let me tell everyone the process. People keep asking. A few hundred, pe- there's maybe five or 600 people a year, I am told, go into networks and say, I have an idea for a TV show. Uh, a girl, you know, falls down. And then the show is about how she falls down. And her friends pick her up. And they're like, great, thanks for coming in. And then they let you know if they're going to buy it. Sometimes they buy it in the room. And that's when they go, well, sounds great. Let's move forward. 
Um, and that's what happened with ABC. So I sold them my idea. Uh, it wasn't as minimal as what I just said. Um, you come in with all the characters and all their backstories and sample episode ideas. And here's what's going to happen over the course of the season. And, you know, you come in with like a 10-page Bible that you kind of glance at and you give them a presentation like you would anything else. And uh, your producing team is there. These are the people that would be your director and your producer should the show get picked up. They're already on board with you. You meet them through a series of things. That whole story is boring. And then they all come in and pitch with you. So it's a team of people with you ready to pitch. Your manager might start, Jen's having a great year. She just sold out um, Madison Square Garden, which I didn't. What if I did, but I chose not to perform there? Like I sold it out. And I'm like, I didn't do the show. Anyway, and then uh, she says she had this idea. And then I tell a little about myself. Oh, my God, I fell down. They're like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, so I thought I'd do a show about it. And then you give them the real pitch. And then your um, uh, producing partners might they might pipe up if you forget something. They're like, and so what we're trying to say is in series, it's really about friends and families and jobs. And they're like, oh, wow, thanks. So um, ABC was down with it. So then they said, here's some money. And they handed me a bag, just a bag of cash, really. A lot of it was weird. It was like all mixed up. Some of it was Canadian coins. I had to go to the bank and do all this. Um, That part's a joke. So they pay and I write a script. But there's a three-month process to it. You write an outline, and then you write another one, and then there's notes, and then there's notes from these people and that. And I'm not complaining. The thing just keeps getting better and better. So, But I was told when we handed it in a week ago that's the last time, and we all made a miscalculation. We had one more draft that they legally could ask us to do, so we weren't counting correctly. So we handed it in, and I'm like, I have three weeks off where I don't have to think about this script. And I have a week off and I'm going to hike every day and I'm going to rest and I am have these shows at Caroline's and then I'm going to London in five days. London, by the way, I'll be there. It's selling really crazy well, so I would not wait on tickets. Um, I think there's this thing with subscribers and if they don't, they might release a few seats the night of each show. But I hear you're a big walk-up city, which I don't remember that from the last times I was there, but I don't remember... Uh, why would I remember that? But I am there uh, January 29th through February 3rd. Please tell a friend that doesn't know I am coming. Um, Monday night is sold really well. Saturday night is almost sold out. Tuesdays and Wednesdays could use a little pick-me-up. So anyway, so then I'm like, am I going to go back to write on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which people are giving me way too much credit for. It was a kismet of all kismets. I did not work on the pilot. The pilot was already filmed by the time I even heard about it, by the time the woman who runs the show, Amy, had ever even heard of my existence. It just so happens that the character of Midge has a stream of consciousness type of comedy because that's what Amy, the woman who invented the show, is like. And it is not based on me. It is not anything to do with me. I did not have to... uh, write material that I would normally write for myself and give it up to the show. Um, I did not write her acts specifically. Um, I had a hand in punching up scripts, as did Noah Gardenswartz, the other comedian consultant writer. And so um, I believe I've said all this before, but people are like, oh, my God, I so can tell you wrote on that show. I'm like, no, you can't. What you can tell is that I wrote on a show that I had a bizarre kismet with. Um Uh, hang on a sec. Um, <clears throat> okay. God damn it. I can't. I have too much to do. I can't. I have too much to do. I was supposed to record a podcast in New York this weekend so that I could have that done for this Tuesday, and now I'm recording this the day before. Okay. So I was like, am I going to go back to Mrs. Maisel? They'd asked me to come back. I already knew that I'd been emailing with Amy for months. Beginning of December, uh, this is all business affairs shit. They're like, yep, the room's starting up again in January, the writer's room. I'm like, well, I don't know if I can get there in January because I'm working on my own show and I have all this shit to do. They're like, well, I'll get back to you. You know, managers doing their thing. Suits are emailing suits. And uh, it just gets to the point where they're like, you can start 
on Monday and I'd have to like have moved to New York two weeks ago. And I'm like, no, I can't. I'm still working on my stuff. So we renegotiated and I, I am going back to start the day after I get back from London. So I fly home from London and the next day I fly to New York. I do not have housing or a place to live because I am so fucking busy. I literally don't have time to do it. I thought I found something. It fell through. I have a 10 days held at a hotel and then I will look into housing on the weekends. Here's the thing. If my pilot gets picked up, so that, that, that now put a pin in Mrs. Maisel. If my pilot gets picked up, I should find out by January 31st or February 3rd, the latest, if it gets picked up, I'll be in London. So I have to pack my life as if I'm moving to New York this week, even if I don't end up moving. So right now I'm doing fool's errands. If indeed it is going to get picked up, I'm finding housing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Last week, the network comes back to us. Hey, we love it. We have more rounds of notes. What? We thought we were done. So I canceled every single ingle dingle thing I had to do while I was in New York. Um, and I just worked with our producers and it was notes and it was calls and let's change this. And let's re- so I worked, I had my computer with me backstage in between shows at Caroline's. That's why I didn't end up selling merchandise. Um, I know I told you guys I was going to, but I couldn't cause I was on a deadline to get, um, a different rewrite every day out. And so then, uh, I had scheduled all this stuff for this week thinking there's no way in goddamn hell that this week won't be the week that I have off before London so I can get shit done and, and. And we're still finishing the notes. So I believe tonight is the final, final, final turn into the network. And not tonight when you hear this, but it will have been last night by the time you hear this. I am hoping I know Friday before I get on that plane to London because I just, I, I, I'm going to leave all my packing for New York until Friday night. And if I find out that I don't have to, then I don't have to pack. And my boss knows I might get something picked up and then I never start. And that's so fucking awesome of her to be like, oh, and also you can call us last minute and be like, I'm not coming. So I know you all think, well, isn't that lucky, Miss Show Business? You have a job waiting in the wings if your own thing doesn't get picked up. But part of me is like, oh, man, I want to write on that show, but I wish it started in May. So I could have a few months off to collect my thoughts and think about what I want to do this year and mourn that this thing I worked so hard on every day for four months that I think is amazing and would be a great show didn't go. I'm getting older, you know, but it's bing, bang, boom, get off the plane, go to New York. That's just life sometimes. But also I'm like, what is my life? Where do I live? You know, uh, it's, it sounds fun, but I am, I am not a young thing. I get tired. I get tired. I get tired. Okay. So we'll see what happens. Um, but as, as you can tell, I'm frazzled. I am frazzled. Good thing I am not canceling my therapy appointment this week. I have it in my calendar. It's a shared calendar. Other people that work with me can see it. And it says therapy, star, star, star. Do not move. Do not take away my therapy because I need some therapy during these stressful times. And that's why I think everyone should be in therapy because when is life not stressful? There's always something going on. And sometimes when there's nothing going on, that can be stressful. So that's why I'm ever grateful that our friends at Talkspace are, again, in the new year, sponsoring I Seem Fun Podcast, Talkspace.com slash Jen. When you go to that, now it's not like if you log into that right now, someone's going to take your credit card and, you know, rope you into five years of marriage. It's just go to the website right now, talkspace.com slash Jen. Read, read along as I, as I talk to you. Um, it's an online therapy company. So you have total privacy. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to like get an hour off your lunch hour, which, you know, everyone knows where you're going. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but you know, there's still a stigma about going to therapy. So what if it could be private and personal and at your convenience? That's why I love Talkspace as an option for you guys, especially people without insurance, because Talkspace is for as little as $32 a week, which you do not get in face-to-face therapy. Even with insurance, it can be more than that. So you get to pick an experienced, licensed therapist who you relate to and feel comfortable with. Ain't no one going to shove someone on you. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. 
that must be fun to supervise a therapist and just, well, I guess you'd be a therapist too. I mean, it'd be fun to be a therapist without having to do the therapy part. So whoever's supervising, I just feel like I would like to sit in on some of these supervised sessions. I just want to hear people and I want to hear the therapist do their magic. And why can't, how do I get one of these gigs supervising people training in therapy? How do I, I, I need to do this for a living besides be a podcaster. But anyway, to show your support for this podcast, use Jen to get $30 off your first month. That's offer code Jen, J-E-N, and Talkspace.com slash Jen. Talkspace is therapy for how we live today. Oh, no, I forgot to mention, you can send your therapist text, audio, and video messages, or even do a live video chat. Does that grab you? Texting, audio, video, message, or even do a live video chat. There is no way that you cannot get in touch with your therapist. And I think that is fantastic. Talkspace.com therapy for how we live today. Thank you. I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. The uh, therapy, sit in on a therapy session. That's like a ride along for cops. (laughs) Sorry. I almost spit out water. I think it is. (laughs) Perhaps I never understood the ride along thing. My friend Todd Glass loves Uh to do it. Yeah. What if they suddenly just have to start chasing someone down the street and there's a shootout or something? I'd I'd be like, drop me off here before you do that part. I want to ride along while they're just like cruising and, you know, waving to people. But (laughs) you want to be in a parade. I want to be in a parade. (laughs) I think I was once as a little kid. Or maybe I used to run up to the fireman's uh, truck when I was little and try to get on it. Anything. Look, I was trying to get into show business people. My sister is sending me selfies of her and her cat. Hi, Mittens. Shout out to Mittens. Mitty! Okay. I don't even have time to text my sister back about Mittens. That's how busy I've been. Now, folks, listen. We've got a lot of listener emails. So people are... I was going to do a whole Valentine's Day episode on Valentine's Day about all the breakups that are happening in the I Seem Fun listenership. And um, I still might do that, actually. But uh, for those of you... Well, actually, and, and here's my thing. I love silky, dilky nightgowns and kind of lingerie stuff. Like, not super sexy, but I mean, I I just like nice things. And so even if you're not in a relationship, folks, you can still wear some uh, pretty pajamas. And that's why I'm excited. Well, they're not pajamas. It's lingerie. That we have a new sponsor today. Adore Me Lingerie. So this Valentine's Day... It's all about you. Make V-Day Me Day. Treat yourself and feel confident and sexy with lingerie from Adore Me. And that's what I'm saying. Buy some for yourself and sit home alone and go, damn, I look good. I'm getting out there this year. Or if you're with someone, you can be like, damn, I look good. Look at me in my lingerie. Now, I didn't mean to just say ladies, men, if you like to wear lingerie, you'd get on up in this too. But Traditionally, it's it's mainly it's mainly women that do this. But hey, let's break traditions on I Seem Fun. Here's the point. Do yourself a favor or tell your significant other exactly what you want this Valentine's Day. Perfect fitting bras and lingerie from Adore Me. At adoreme.com, you get designer bras and lingerie that fit you perfectly because it's designed by women for women. Every body type up in here from petite to plus. That is the most important part. Um Listen, you will get gorgeous lingerie and bra and panty sets right to your door. They have hundreds of styles from lacy romantic to trendy bralettes. I love bralettes to supportive full coverage bras. So it's not just like some, you know, special occasion. I mean, this is stuff you can wear every day and have it fit well and feel awesome. They've sold over 1 million bras. They've been featured in Vogue, Glamour, Cosmo, Elle, and more. There is no risk no return lines. Shipping and exchanges are always free. So for a limited time, it's the Adore Me Valentine's Day sale. Get your first set for just $19.95. Come on. Well, ladies know that that's very cheap. At adoreme.com slash fun. That is 60% off of your first set with VIP membership at adoreme.com slash fun. That is adoreme.com slash fun. Listen, London, you can't be counted on for your last minute quick and easy fast food that tastes good to me. So I'm going to tell you about the RX bar. It's a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? You're asking me. What does that mean? 
Listen, I'm going to start with this part. In 2013, this company started because they called BS on protein bars. They couldn't find a bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients, fillers, preservatives, and just general BS. So I want to say, when I eat those, quote, protein bars, they are full of sugar, and I get addicted, and I don't feel full. I have been eating RX bars ever since I found out about them. It is whole food protein bars with simple, real ingredients. You know, guys, I don't advertise any food on this podcast unless I eat it myself. And you know me. I like to eat. I do not like things that don't taste good. So they want to be transparent with their customers, which is why they label the core ingredients on the front of the package. It's a real cute design. Egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front, and the ingredients that make up the texture and taste are on the back, like 100% real cacao, 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 and coconut. Um, Throw them in your bag when you're going to the gym. Keeps them in your car. Keeps them in your house. And if you right now, this is how you're going to get what you need to get from me. Well, let me just tell you, there's 11 different ingredients. They are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and no added sugar, but they are delicious. They're sweet and savory, chocolate and fruit flavors, real spices like sea salt. I can taste it. Their ingredients do all the talking. It is simply like you are eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds. It's great to eat right before or right after you work out. So here's what you're going to do, people. Here's what you're going to do. rxbar.com. rxbar.com slash fun, And you enter the code ICEAMFUN at checkout. That is going to give you 25% off your first order. So folks, don't be stupid. rxbar.com slash fun. Enter code ICEAMFUN at checkout. $25 off your first order. Be like me. Eat rxbar. And stay full and healthy and not full of BS. Let's see what's going on this week. Uh, we flash me what minute we're at? Thirty-six. Okay. Uh, all right, here we go. All right, let's see what people want to talk about this week. Ah, somebody said um, Nathaniel here in New York City, avid listener, longtime fan. Here is a screenshot of the lyrics. Remember weeks ago, somebody had said. He loved the song All the Single Ladies at Christmas because she says, ho, ho, ho. And this man checked it out. They all say, oh, there are no hoes in there. It's, oh, 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 that's what I thought it was. Um, Nathan Nathaniel says he always thought it was, whoa, oh, oh, I'm sure it is. All right. Book recommendations, panic attacks, blown off on Facebook. All right. I like this one. Mystery Gary sending money. Hi, Jen. My name is. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to make up a name. Anna. I'm 30 years old. I'm a big fan of yours. And I love. Something happened the other day, which I thought was quite strange. Then funny. Then a bit strange again. Oh, I had something strange happen to me. I got a Christmas card in the mail from someone in San Diego. They have my home address. There is no return address on it. And just the words C.A. On the back of the envelope. It doesn't look like they were trying to write California. It looks like they maybe were doing their initials. And it's taped. And then on the inside, it's like... It's like a silly Christmas card with Santa and a reindeer. And on the inside, it said, Jen, I love you. Let's get together this year. I love you. No signature. So it's someone fucking with me. Uh, not a friend. I think it's a fan who's like... Somehow found out my address, which is terrifying. And I don't like it. And the I love you is either I am like a obsessed stalker or it's like someone who hates me because of my politics and they're being uh, sarcastic. Anyway, I did not like that. Do not do that, people. And I felt like I shouldn't even mention it. All right. My name is Anna. I'm 30 years old. I'm a big fan of yours. Okay. Wait. I really, oh, my God. I literally have Alzheimer's. Oh, my God. I'm triggered. Okay. Something happened the other day, which I thought was quite strange and funny and bit strange again. I thought I'd share this anecdote with you to see what you thought. The story requires a little bit of background. Oh, all stories do, don't they? Earlier this year in August, I got a card through the mail. When I opened it, it said, sorry for the late Christmas card, love Gary, number 33. This is strange for the following reasons. One, I don't know anybody named Gary. Two, I live at number 32 and didn't even know there was a number 33. I thought I was the last one on the block. Three, it's August. So yeah, I'd say you were defo a little late with the Christmas card, pal. Anyway, the envelope didn't have my name or anyone's name on it, just the address. 
and the card inside didn't say to blank either. So I'm assuming Gary doesn't know my name either. So considering all of the above, I just assumed this was a mistake and this wasn't meant for, you, for me at all. So I threw it out and forgot about it. Then the other day, I received an actual Christmas card. Again, from Gary. And this time, Merry Christmas from Gary, number 33. And with a $5 note in it. Who the fuck is Gary? Where is number 33? And why is he sending me money? This is weird, yes? I definitely don't know any Gary, and being a gay woman, I certainly haven't had any one-night relations with any Gary that I might have forgotten about. Not that I'd expect a one-night stand to send me money. And if they did, I'd hope it would be more than just a fiver. And not only do I not know who this person is or where his mystery house is, but these cards keep coming through the channels of the Queen's Post. If he allegedly lives next door to me, then wouldn't you just hand-deliver it? Why buy the stamp? Oh, I never understood that... Gary was saying he lived at number 33. I thought he was addressing it to number 33. Okay, well, that's weird. So my question is this. What the hell do I do with this? Do I send him one back with some change? I mean, I know it's only a fiver, but I don't know this guy, and who knows, $5 might be a lot to him. So I'm worried I'm pocketing this cash when it might be meant for someone else. But it has my address on it. I've lived here for 10 years, so if it was meant for anyone who has lived here before me, then surely I would have heard from Gary years before, unless his Christmas card was really late. I'm worried it wasn't meant for me, and I'm worried that it was meant for me. Kind of feel like I'm being watched. It's creepy. I don't know who he is. He obviously doesn't even know my name. Why is he sending me cards and money? Okay. What should you do? Do nothing. Any response to these kind of weirdos is what they want. Just keep ignoring Um, take the five bucks and give it away to someone. Just give it to a homeless person, tip someone, just get that energy out of your life. Uh, you don't have to throw it out. You don't have to send the money back. I feel like, um, I don't really know what he means by number 33. I was a little confused. Um, I think the first step would be finding out if there is a number 33 on your block. I'm not sure why you Maybe there really isn't. That's why you didn't go check it out. I would just ignore it. It could be someone just like if I were to do a prank. Like I remember I worked at a video store and I was bored with my friend Pat at work one day and we decided to write on all of the money a rumor that we wanted to start. And the rumor was that Potsy's original name on Happy Days was Twatsy and that they almost got it through the censors, but they didn't. So we, you know. Think of that. It was Potsy's, pass it on, Potsy's nickname on Happy Days was supposed to be Twatsy. Um, And we wrote that on like hundreds of one and fives. And I just thought someday it's going to be so amazing if this money gets back to me. Or if somebody says to me, did you know that the original name for Potsy was Twatsy? Now, my memory is so compromised with fantasy versus reality that I believe that did happen to me. I think somebody said to me that once, um, but I can't remember if that really happened. So my point is, if I wanted to prank someone, I would probably just look at an address. I'd walk by a street, send a card to that address, and since I don't know who lives there, just be like, hey, how you doing? I've missed you. Because it would just make me laugh knowing that somebody in that house is like, what? I mean, I wouldn't do that because I actually think it could be quite painful if someone's really expecting a card or a letter from someone. Um, But I would just ignore it. It sure is scary. And um, I don't envy the position you're in. But do nothing. Okay. Okay. Let's see. One more quick one. Is this the most boring episode ever? Of course it is. Okay. Somebody was dumped at Christmas post New Year breakup. Um, let's just let's just say that uh, let's just get these breakups out there. I mean, I know I was going to save it for, for Valentine's Day, but why not? Jen, thank you for meeting me when you were most recently in Atlanta. Um, I was the smug woman who responded that I'd done a 10-day meditation retreat when you asked the crowd if they'd ever done any. Guys, I don't remember moments at shows ever, so, but I do remember a few people in a few different cities have gone to those 10-day ones, and I never felt that anyone who answered that question was smug. 
My now ex-boyfriend dumped me on Thursday, so she wrote this a while ago, so this was weeks ago, right as I was about to leave to go visit my family for Christmas. Ugh, it was incredibly sudden, at least for me. My ex is barely older than I am, but we are in really different places in our careers and financially. He's in a STEM field and has been for over a decade. What does that mean? Something the... I I've saw I feel like I saw it on a Hallmark movie. They said they're STEM. It's something. So he makes good money. He also has no debt. I, on the other hand, have two art degrees, a bunch of student loans, and I'm currently getting another master's degree so I can become a mental health counselor. Cue the talk space shout out. That's right. I drive a shitty old car. He drives a brand new one. I have roommates. He lives alone. I mean, if this isn't a Hallmark movie, I've never lied or concealed anything from him during the eight months we dated. The differences were pretty obvious. But last week we had a conversation in which I was 100% transparent about my financial situation, such as telling him the exact amount of student loan debt, which isn't the highest number I've heard from my peers, but it's not small. At first he was really supportive and it seemed to bring us closer. But two days later he called me during his lunch break at work to tell me that we just made decisions about money very differently and we're not on the same page. I really hate how he went about informing me of his decision, but it's not like he was totally off base in his reasoning. There are a lot of ways I want to be smarter with money. I've just felt so overwhelmed and disheartened with my situation that I haven't known what to do. I don't think I've heard you talk about managing money, particularly as an artist and performer on the podcast before. I was wondering if you had some advice. And I was wondering if you have anything to say about how money affects relationships. In any case, wow, being dumped on Christmas really does suck. Here's to an amazing 2018 best wishes, Sarah. Well, Sarah, let me just say one thing about this guy. Um, It seems like the type of guy where he's a little confused about what makes love work and what doesn't. And so you probably weren't long with him anyway. He seems like the type of guy where stuff, money does play a role and class does play a role. But... um, Can it complicate things? Yes. Can it make you have conversations you don't want to have sooner than you would normally have them in a relationship? Yes. But it sounds like this guy was just kind of looking for a reason, and that sounds good on paper money, and it's an awkward, and he didn't want to be argued out of it. It wasn't like, hey, you know what? I have to admit, I know I was supportive at first, but you really freaked me out when you told me how much debt you have, and and here's why. I really want to be with you, but I'm worried. Do we approach money so differently that I'm always going to be bailing you out if we get married? I mean, I'm rich, but, you know, are you using me? Or, you know, I'm until we decide to get married, like, I don't want to go to your house with your roommates. And and yeah, it stresses me out. And and I but I want to be with you. So maybe I need to work on that. Some of that's my issue. You know, that is what a real man or woman does who wants to be with you. So I have to say the underlying problem is that that person did not want to be with you. And they are using, they're not using money as an excuse, but how, how compatible they felt with you in all areas did not overwhelm that. So they just use that. He probably thinks it's a reason in his mind. And so it's not. Now, the way you can get over him is tell yourself it was only eight months. Don't attach to the story. Um, a lot of pain we have is because we're imagining what the future could be with someone. And then when they dump us, we feel they've taken away our future, but the future isn't here. So they didn't take away anything except what we've already experienced. And it sounds like it was a lot. It also sounds like he might not understand your artist ways. And so I think that you might find someone a little more compatible to you. Money can be an issue, but I I think it's only an issue if you're talking about someone who's using someone else for money or someone who like won't get a job. You know, I think that's it. And then then it can be an issue, I suppose, if your parents, someone's parents don't like that you're dating someone, you know, like a Hallmark movie. You're a prince. You're supposed to date a princess. Who's this commoner? But look at um, Meghan Markle or whatever and Prince Harry. My friend Chris Frangelo that I interviewed on this very podcast said he used to waitress with her. So she's a look at look how they made it work. So that wasn't your guy. So you don't even have to worry about that. I don't talk about money now because I'm not struggling. I'm out of debt. I have a business manager who handles my money. Um, I am rich for a normal person, not rich for a performer. Um, I I could not live one year without working. I have zero financial security in that sense. I do have a 401k. I do have a savings. But um, it is is not some kind of like, hey, I'm set for life. Um, I do not have a million dollars, you know, so it's like, 
and I'm kind of a spender. Uh, I like, you know, I, I don't own because I don't want to put everything into one thing. It's too expensive here anyway. I used to have major debt problems. Um, I didn't even know you had to pay credit cards off. I thought you could move and they wouldn't find you. That's how dumb I was. My parents used to just yell at me about money, but I don't really know if they taught me anything. I've been working since I was 14. I look back. I was talking to an old friend of mine in New York this weekend. My rent was only 300 bucks, all inclusive when I lived in New York. I had health insurance through a job. I didn't have a car. I don't know where the fuck the money went. Um, I think I made 40 grand a year when I was living in New York City in 1998 and 9 and 2000. And um, I think back then that stretched pretty well. Um, and I didn't do anything extra. I didn't travel or buy fancy things. But I had credit card debt. I don't know where all the money went. I, I mean, not that that was a lot of money, but you know what I'm saying. I had, since I didn't have that many expensive bills, I don't know what I fucking did with my money. Um, I was in such bad debt that, I, that um, collection agencies were after me, the IRS, um, my credit was bad for eight years because I did those debt consolidation things and because I missed so many payments. I was a mess financially. I do really believe that one of the reasons I got married was this fear that I'll always be in debt. And my husband was not wealthy. We were the same kind of like starving artist kind of people, but I just thought two is better than one. And, you know, I need some backup here. <laughs> That's not literally what was going through my mind, but it certainly, I realized when I wasn't happy in my marriage that I thought, oh my God, I think I wanted some stability and security and you don't get married for that because um, the other part of why you're married, the love part, uh, feels weird without that. So um, I am a big fan of Maria Bamford talks a lot about it in Lady Dynamite. I did go to Debtors Anonymous, which normally in anonymous groups you're not supposed to say. But I feel like that one is different than the other groups um, because I do think there's a spirituality to money. And um, I don't go anymore, but I went for a little while. I dabbled. And um, I think Susie Orman is actually really smart with this stuff. Um, the bottom line is a lot of times when people don't have money, they get accused of being bad with money when you're just under earning. Um, I learned to have no humility about where my money came from, earn or burn. That's why I took a $10 an hour temp job in 2008 before I started working at Chelsea lately, which changed my life financially. And so there's also a book called The Energy of Money, which my psychiatrist recommended to me and I loved it. So, you know, it, there's really no advice I can give except don't debt in terms of putting groceries on your credit card. Try to keep your debt to the three major things, your house, your car, and your student loans, because those are debts that people have, and they usually don't have the crazy interest, and there's forgiveness, and you know that, but don't get involved in buying things, shopaholicism, you know, all that shit. Um, and we'll end on this. As for breakups, I, I um, as you know, have a lifetime membership to the Mindful Meditation Center in New York City, MNDFL is how they spell that company. And my friend, uh, who's the founder, Lodro, he came to my shows this weekend. He brought some friends. Um, he is still trying to fix me up with a friend of his. And I'm like, I do not want to be set up right now. I am still uh, not interested in any of that stuff. And, you know, in my head, it's just not time for that. Um, my God, I can't even pee right now. Who has time? Um, but anyway, he wrote a great book called Love Hurts, Buddhist Advice for the Heartbroken. And it's really fantastic. And so... I'm going to read you um, a little paragraph for those of you whose emails I didn't get to yet about the hurts and the dumping. It's an easy read. You don't have to be Buddhist. And it's funny and it's cool and it's actually quite profound. Um, it's called – oh, the book is called Love Hurts, Buddhist Advice for the Heartbroken. Um, Buddhism has a lot to say about suffering and there are likely few times we suffer more intensely. I mean that's the whole thing about Buddhism is like life is suffering. So you can get a lot out of – turning to that. Um, there's few times we suffer more intensely than when we break up with a romantic partner. It feels like you may never recover, but there is good news for those suffering. The 2,500-year-old teachings of the Buddha are the ultimate antidote for emotional pain, and you don't need to be a Buddhist for them to apply to you. In this short and compact first aid kit for a broken heart, he walks you through the cause and cure of suffering with much practical advice for self-care as you work to survive a breakup. The wisdom he applies to any kind of emotional suffering. It's a great practical offering. So get it. Get, get it. Just get the damn book. It's on Amazon. Um, 
So, uh, did we hit an hour, right? Uh, we're at 54. Oh, fuck. All right, let me do one more thing quick for five minutes. I'll read one more of your emails. Also, STEM is uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Ah, okay. Candace Cameron Bure said that word in in one of the Hallmark movies. She was talking (laughs) about science, and it was so weird because her character was into science, and I thought that was strange because in real life, that she as a person is not. uh, She doesn't believe in science. So I was wondering. She's, She's on that train too, like her brother? Yeah, I mean, she's obviously not as bad as him because he won't do any art that isn't that stuff. Yeah. Art. But so she does all the Hallmark movies. And in this year, she played a divorced woman in one of them. And I was like, oh, that seems sort of like against her religion or whatever. So I'm not sure. You know what? I'm, instead of reading one of your emails, I'm going to look up right now Candace Cameron Bure because I keep accusing her of having these crazy beliefs. I'm sure she's right wing. Candace Cameron Bure beliefs. Um, Okay, this is from 2016. Eight times Candace Cameron Bure's religious beliefs have sparked controversy. (laughs) Um, Oh, I hate these slideshows. Related slideshows. Uh, The slideshow isn't working. Oh, one. Okay. In a 2014 interview with Fox 411, she revealed that her religious beliefs greatly influenced her relationship with her husband, hockey player Valerie Bure, and that she allows herself to be in a more submissive position because of what the Bible says. Her comments outraged many who feel women should be treated equal to men. She said, I can go back to the Bible, and the Bible says wives respect your husbands and husbands respect your wives. There's a difference between men and women. I know my husband doesn't need the type of love that I require, which is much more caring and sensitive in nature, like, oh, honey, you look wonderful. It's like my husband doesn't need to hear that on a daily basis like I do, but he needs to be respected. I like that my husband is a leader. He's a man's man. I want him to lead our family. So far, I don't find anything wrong with what she's saying, to be honest. Uh, there are some things to be said for gender roles. And okay, whatever. It doesn't mean we don't make decisions together. It doesn't mean I don't have a voice in our marriage. Of course I do. I'm a very strong woman and an opinionated woman. But I don't think a marriage is at its best when you have two people vying for the same position. So someone has to yield at some point and ultimately I will defer to my husband. All right, well, that part's kind of where I drop off. That's not to say he isn't constantly going, well, what do you think? And we compromise on things, but ultimately he makes the decision. I know that makes him feel respected as the man of our home. All right. Um, she also said she wrote a book called Balancing It All, My Story of Juggling Priorities and Purpose. My husband is a natural born leader, she wrote. I quickly learned that I had to find a way of honoring his take charge personality and not get frustrated. Um, okay, again, cake wars. Things got heated on The View when she argued with Raven Simone about whether or not Christians should be forced to provide services for gay couples. Oh, like, can a, you know, I'm not going to make you a cake. Um, she backed the bakery saying, I'm not going to make a, gay, a cake for the gay couple. She said, I don't think this is discrimination. This is about freedom of association. It's about constitutional rights. It's about First Amendment rights. We do have the right to still choose who we associate with. The bakery didn't refuse to bake the cake because of the couple's sexual orientation. In fact, they baked cakes for them previously. They had a problem with the actual ceremony because that, the ceremony, is what conflicted with their religious beliefs. They are saying that they stand for marriage between a man and a woman. That's very parsing of words. I know what she thinks she means, and that's how these people get away with having their gay hairdresser and having their cake and eating it, too. I'm I'm sorry to say. Um, She came under fire for posting... Uh, a photo of herself in a Christmas sweater that featured both Santa and Jesus with the caption, this sweater is everything. For all the naysayers, let me tell you what the sweater means to me. Christmas for most is about Santa, the holidays, presents, and cheer. But for me, it's Jesus. So while you may see this graphic as polar opposites or even blasphemy, I see this sweater as a bridge between commercialism and the real meaning of Christmas that invites conversation. And if you know me at all, you know I engage in conversation. So judge me as you will. I take no offense because I know who and whose I am. Peace to you all. A lot of people, the Christians were mad at her. This is straight up blasphemy, the people said. Um... She said, uh, oof, after the San Bernardino shootings, we need to bring God into the conversation on gun control. 
Um, she said, as a person that supports prayer and believes that prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have, I believe that all things should start with prayer. I am not pushing that on anyone. Faith without works is dead. God did not say, just pray to me. God gave us free will to live the way that God would live, and Jesus ain't had no gun. So if you're a Christian, you don't just pray to Jesus about guns. You work actively to get the violence out of your community, and you pray to Jesus for the strength to do that. Why don't people understand how religion works? Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. I'm going to read what she said because what I said is so brilliant. And lastly, um, when they talked about Oscar so white and they were disappointed in the lack of diversity, Whoopi Goldberg turned the tables on Candace Cameron and used against her the fact that she loves to talk about religion on the show. And I don't know what name it's. She wore a sweatshirt that said, Jesus saves, bro. And um, Christian said Jesus and bro shouldn't be in the same T-shirt. How do you know the Bible would be all right with the term bro? Uh, I guess she was on The View a lot. I didn't know this. Um, She called liberals mean, hateful, and downright nasty. Um, The majority of the feedback I get from The View audience is from liberals whom I love but are mean, hateful, and downright nasty toward me. (laughs) It's incredibly disheartening to read. And while I know I have the support of many, most of the supporters didn't vocalize it on social media. So she was asking people, please be nice to me and tag The View in it so that they know I have supporters. So that's our answer. Who is this woman? She spoke for herself. Jesus saves, bro. Until next week, have fun.